Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. Of course, as we said last week, we are taking kind of the next couple weeks, next several weeks, looking at the life of Abraham to really consider where God wants to take us as a church, but also where he wants to take you individually as a believer. You know, God has blessed us incredibly here at New Grace Baptist Church. He's given us a lot of uh, facilities, a lot of property, a lot of loving people, a lot of great opportunities. But that blessing comes with a responsibility. It comes with a responsibility to take the blessings God has given us as a church and multiply them for His kingdom, for His honor, for His glory. We are blessed by God so we can be a blessing to other people, other people in our community, other people all across the world that we may not have the opportunity to ever meet or, or interact with, but we can send missionaries to go and be a blessing to them. But also, won't you consider personally how God wants to use you at this church? God's only blessed new grace. He's, he's blessed every single one of us incredibly. Every, and I know a lot of us can sit here and go, well, you don't know my life. You don't know what I'm facing. You don't know what my bank account looks like. You don't know what my doctor just told me. You don't know what my family's like. I, 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 you're right, I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I still know God's blessed you. I still know God wants to use the blessings He's given you to be a help and an encouragement to others. That blessing that God has given you comes with the responsibility to use those blessings to multiply for His kingdom. And it's my prayer that these next few weeks, as we look at Abraham's life, will not only be a defining moment for us as a church, but will be a defining moment for you as a follower of Christ. That you will see personally what it is God wants you to use your life to do to build His kingdom. That we would, that we would extend our reach as a church and as believers to help impact the world for God's kingdom. I want to equip you to help you better reach your family and your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers with the gospel. I want to better equip us as a church to not only reach the lost, but to disciple believers, to grow believers in their walk with God so that they can increase their output for the kingdom of God. So I hope this series changes us as a church, but I also hope it changes you personally. And so I want to encourage you every week during this, this time together, and really you can do it after this series is over. This is about a six-week series, uh, and I'm not saying only ask this question for the next six weeks. Ask it every, every day of your life, really. But ask yourself how engaged you are in the mission of God. And then ask God, Lord, what can I do to be more engaged? What can I do to be more used by you for your kingdom? And here's the thing. Our hearts are like a car driven by our wife. It gets knocked out of alignment a lot. Any guys can testify to that? I can. I have to get the lifetime alignment on our van because April likes to, and you've seen our van, she likes to back up without looking. And then, you know, she sees a big pothole and is like, woo, Duke's a hazard over that puppy. So it gets knocked out of alignment a whole lot. And, you know, I'll be driving down the road and, you know, it'll start drifting towards the ditch. That's what our hearts are like. If we don't check our alignment, 
we'll start drifting towards the ditch of, of self-sufficiency, of, of selfishness, of self-centeredness. And we'll start caring more about our lives and our needs and what we can do for ourselves than what God wants us to do for His glory and His kingdom. So we need to take some time and allow the Holy Spirit to, to challenge our hearts, to convict us and kind of recenter our hearts on what God has for us. And we're looking at the life of Abraham, and Abraham, as we said last week, he is one of the most important figures in human history. Over half of the world look to Abraham as the father of their faith. He's considered, of course, in, in Judaism and Christianity and Islam, he is considered the father of their faith, and he is a revered character in all three of these religions. And God multiplied Abraham's life for God's kingdom, for God's glory. And he, he led Abraham down a, a specific path to allow Abraham to release his needs and give his heart to God enough where God could multiply what, Abraham's had in the path, what Abraham had. And the path that God led him down is the same path we're going to have to walk if we want God to multiply our lives for his glory. And that should be what, we, what every single one of us want. As a child of God, we should want our lives to mean more than just what we can get on this earth, what we can accomplish, what we, the name we can make for ourselves. Because here's the thing. When you die, no matter how big of a name you are, no matter how much influence you have, no matter how much money you have, it means nothing in eternity. Only what we do for God matters in eternity. And we should all want to have a life that is greater than ourselves. To, to have a life that matters more than just making money or, or being influential. And so last week, we looked at the first step on this path that God took Abraham down. That God's going to take all of us down. That step was to follow God. This week, we're going to look at the second step, and that is to trust God. Now, we saw in Genesis 12, Abraham's call. God comes to Abraham at Ur of the Chaldees. Of course, he had, he had traveled halfway towards Canaan where God wanted him to go originally, but the family had stopped. They'd settled in Ur of the Chaldees, and God comes to Abraham as Abram and says, Abram, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave everything and follow me. I'll show you where I'm taking you. Didn't tell him where to go. Didn't give him a map or the steps to take. Just said, Abraham, follow me. And I'm going to make you a great nation. The entire world is going to be blessed by you. And Abraham left everything. He left his family. He left his, his, his security. He left property. He left everything to follow God. Incredible faith. An incredible first step. But after that first step of faith and following God, Abraham's life wasn't just a, a series of great victories for God. Abraham had some incredible failures in his life. As a matter of fact... He doesn't get out of chapter 12 before he messes up the very first time that we have recorded in Scripture. So look at verse number 10 in chapter 12. <clears throat> and, there was a, and there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Now remember, Abraham left everything to follow God. God takes him to where he wants him to be. And it's, it's hard. It's difficult. There's a famine. And so what does Abraham do? He leaves. That's not showing a lot of faith in God. 
God, you're going to lead me to where I need to be. You're going to provide for me. You're going to make me a great nation. Lord, I'm here. God, do it. Oh, man, it's hard. Let me leave. So he goes to Egypt. The only place in the region that's not really been affected by the, uh, the famine. And it, it does not go well for him down in Egypt. Look at verse number 11. <clears throat> and it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarah, Sarai, his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. And therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, that thou art my sister, that I may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. So Abraham is worried as he's going into Egypt, that the men of the country are going to see Sarah, his wife, and they're going to find her so irresistible that they're going to murder him so they can marry her. Now, you've got to remember, Abraham's 75. Sarah's 70. So, according to Abraham, Sarah's still pretty smoking hot. Uh, which I can't wrap my brain around until I remember she did live until she was like 180. So she's like middle-aged right now. Uh, but anyway, uh, she is so attractive that he says, hey, when we get there and people start saying, hey, is that your husband? Don't tell them you're my, I'm your husband. Tell them I'm your, I'm your brother. Now, it's not really a lie because they were half-brother and half-sister, which is weird. Uh, but in that culture, that was kind of allowed, that was a thing, so it was no big deal. So he goes, hey, just tell everybody you're my sister, that way they won't, you know, Pharaoh is going to see you and fall in love with you, and he's not going to kill me because I'm your brother. And so, of course, Pharaoh sees her, he marries her, but he won't kill Abraham to do it. That is what we call a lack of faith. God had promised him, earlier in this chapter, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to use you and Sarah to bring forth an incredible blessing for the whole world. Your children, from you and Sarah, are going to outnumber the sands of the sea, the sands of the world. He says, I'm going to, I'm going to make a great family out of you and Sarah. And he gets down to Egypt and says, hey, Sarah, I know God promised to watch over us. I know God promised to take care of us, but I don't think he's going to do it. So let's lie so we can be protected. God promised to make him a great nation to give him children. Now, he doesn't trust God to keep his, his promise while he's in Egypt, so he lies. Now, that's a, that's a troubling scene. But I take, I take great comfort in that. Because Abraham, if the father of our faith, if the father, that the, the man that God used to bring forth the Messiah, if he can have lapses of faith, then it's okay when I do. It's okay when I say, God, I know you said, but. God, I know what the Bible says, but. It's okay when I don't trust God as much as I should. Now look, my life hasn't been an unbroken string of complete and total trust in God since I've been saved. I have, I have had some pretty big failures. Now, I've never told April to lie and tell people that I'm her brother so that some guy can, can marry her and not kill me. I've never done that. So I think I'm better than Abraham a little bit, but I've had some pretty big mess-ups. But if Abraham can mess up and God still use him, then when I mess up, God can still use me as well. Now, 
That's the first time Abraham messed up. We actually, there are five instances that are recorded in Scripture where Abraham had incredible lacks of faith, but God still used him. Uh, this first one's, of course, in chapter 12. The second one's in chapter 16. Chapter 16, they, of course, have been waiting for God to keep his word, to give them a child, and God hasn't answered their prayer. God hasn't fulfilled his promise. And Abraham is content to wait, but Sarah's not. So Sarah comes up with the brilliant idea that Abraham will sleep with Hagar, their maid, where they got in Egypt, by the way. Uh, so they picked up this girl in Egypt, and she's their servant. And so she goes, why don't you just use, go, go sleep with Hagar, knock her up, and we'll, we'll raise that child as ours. We'll use that child to fulfill God's promise. And so Abraham, because he is a, an idiot, listens to his wife and has relations with our adultery, has sex with Hagar, gets her pregnant, she has a baby, everybody's happy, right? Right, now, think about it. You and your wife are struggling to conceive, and she has the brilliant idea for you to sleep with your maid to get a kid. You think your wife's really going to be happy when you do it? No. Sarah is mad and takes it out on Hagar because it's Hagar's fault that, you know, she did what she was told to do. And so she takes it on Hagar and Ishmael, Abraham's son. And, you know, Abraham finally, Hagar, uh, uh, Sarah finally comes to Abraham and says, get rid of this woman. She's, she's not right here. And so Abraham again listens to Sarah and kicks Hagar and his son out. And they are kicked out of the camp. God takes care of them. It's an incredible story. Uh, but God takes care of them. Uh, but Abraham, once again, he, he fails in trusting God. Then in chapter 17, God comes to Abraham to renew his promise. To, after this whole incident with Hagar, God comes to him and says, Look, Abraham, I know you're, you have some lapses of faith. I know you're not trusting me right now. I know you don't believe I'm going to keep my word. But I, I'm going to give you children from you and Sarah. And you know what Abraham does? He laughs in God's face. That's bold right there. That when God says, hey, I'm going to do this, and you go, <laughs> yeah, whatever, God. Uh, and God didn't smite him right away. Uh, but again, another lapse of faith in Abraham. Then in chapter 12, again, they go down to Egypt. They run into a king that scares Abraham. And so again, Abraham says, hey, Sarah. And by this time in chapter 20, she's in her 90s. But he still says, Sarah, you're so beautiful. Guys are going to kill me to get to you. So why don't you tell everybody you're my, you're my, you're my sister instead of my, instead of my wife, and that way everything will be fine. So this, the last failure that we have recorded is exactly the same way it started. He's made a complete circle. So that means when you have the same failure over and over and over and over again, as long as we confess it and forsake it and try to get back on track with God, God can use anybody. And so, I feel pretty good about my life. Now, I've made mistakes, but nothing quite that big. So, we're going to look at several chapters of Genesis to see some important truths. Here's the first truth we're going to look at. Then we'll go to slide number two. God grows our faith through testing. Next one. God grows our faith through testing. Right after Abraham follows God, he runs into a problem. God sends a famine. Hold on a second. Connor, is everything but the speaker muted? 
All right, well, the main, the main um, monitor up on the top there, it says, Mon turn that on. Just turn that all the way down because I got a buzz going. I don't know if y'all can hear it, but I can hear it. It's irritating me. And uh, I don't need to be more irritated. All right, so right after Abraham follows God and goes to where God tells him, God sends a famine. Now, God knew that Abraham would run to Egypt when he got scared. God wasn't surprised when Abraham left. And so God was testing his faith. He was testing Abraham's... Not to, and here's, here's kind of an idea that we, we have about you know, God's testing your faith. You know, why would God test our faith when He knows we're going to fail? God doesn't test our faith to see if we're going to pass or fail. It's not, a, it's not a, like a, an exam. God tests our faith to grow our faith. That's what He was doing with Abraham. That's what he was doing. That's what he does in our life. You don't make a one-time decision to follow God and then move on. Faith needs to be grown in your life. Faith is like a muscle. It only grows by straining it, by working it. When you lift weights, what you're actually doing is putting thousands of little tears in the muscle fiber. And as, you, as, it, as it grows back and it heals and it scars over, those muscles get stronger. It grows back bigger and stronger. And that's how God grows our faith. He puts us in situations that, that tear us down so that we can grow back up with stronger faith for Him. And that's what we go through as believers. You know, We don't get saved and, and follow God with, with no problems. When you decide to follow God, when you decide to step up and do something for God, you are going to face problems. Trouble is going to come. You know, and that's, that's hard for us, because sometimes we ask, you know, how's God going to provide for me? I surrendered to be faithful in my tithes and offerings, and I got, then I lost my job. I surrendered to, to serve God, and all of a sudden, all these problems came. Is this how God rewards obedience of His children? By sending problems to us? But that's how God grows our faith. We decide to follow Him, and then He tests us to grow our faith. He allows people to turn on you. He allows people to hurt you because He's, he's putting you in a situation where He asks you, do you trust Me? Do you rely on Me? Do you cherish Me more than you do these people? More than you do acceptance? More than you do finance? Do you trust Me more than anything else? Faith is the most important muscle in the Christian life. And God wants to grow it. Faith isn't just how we begin our walk with God. Faith is our entire life with Him. Everything in the Christian life grows in the soil of faith. He's going to grow your faith by testing your faith. Here's the second thing we see. <clears throat> when God tests our faith, number two, God often brings us to the breaking point. God, when He made that promise to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to give you a son, I'm going to give you children, they're going to be, through your family, the whole world's going to be blessed. God could have given him a son immediately. And it still would have been a miracle, because again, Abraham's 75, Sarah's 70, which by that time, she's barren, he's sterile. They, humanly speaking, cannot have children. The whole world thinks they're barren. The whole world has this stigma on them. It still would have been an incredible miracle. 
It would have been like when, when Elizabeth got pregnant with John the Baptist. She wasn't this old, but she was, she was old enough to be considered barren, and God gave her a miracle. Man, great blessing. would have been a tremendous blessing, but he didn't. He waited 25 years before he fulfilled this promise. And again, when he gives it to Abraham, Abraham's 75. Quick math. That means God waited until Abraham was 100 years old to give him a baby. Which to me, is kind of mean. I'm 46. I don't want another baby in my house. I'm done with that. I'm done with diapers and 2 a.m. changings and all that stuff. I got, I got a puppy and that's enough. Uh, Pepper waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning to go outside and pee, even though she's sleeping in Connor's room and Connor never hears her, is enough for me. I don't need a baby. I don't need to go through colic and all that stuff. So, man, at 100 years old to have a, ba- a newborn in your house, I, I, I'm more power to Abraham. But why did God wait so long? Why not just give it to him immediately? Going back to the muscle analogy. When you're working out, there's a, 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 a technique called muscle failure. It's the, the fastest way to grow your muscles stronger and bigger as quickly as possible. And the way that you do muscle failure is you push your muscles through weightlifting until you can't lift anymore. You max out until you can't lift anymore. And you do that over and over and over again. And it brings you to the point, when you come to the breaking point over and over and over again, your muscles grow back bigger and stronger than before. And that's what God does with our faith. He pushes us to the breaking point so that when we trust in Him and we wait on Him, it grows our faith stronger back in our life. Look, if God had, had told Abraham in Genesis 12, I'm going to give you a child, very next chapter or very next verse, Sarah gets pregnant, Abraham would have rejoiced, he would have praised God, and that would have been incredible. It's good to praise God. But praising God doesn't grow our faith. Pain, trials, rejection, grows our faith. If God would have immediately... Abraham had to feel that he was helpless in the face of sterility. Helpless in the, in the face of Sarah's barrenness. If God would have immediately fulfilled the promise, his faith would not have grown. That's what God's doing to you. He is pushing you to the breaking point of your faith. Look, the way we, cut, we grow like Abraham did, it's not fun. There's some deep valleys... There's some hard trials. There's some deep pain that we have to go through. But God wants to show us that no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through, God will provide for us. He sends you into storms to show you His ability to calm them. He takes you into storms to show you that He can walk on water in them. He throws you in the fiery furnace to show you He's there with you. He surrounds you with conflict to show you His ability to provide a table for you in the presence of your enemies. God is serious about teaching us to live by faith. Again, faith is not just how we start our walk with God. It's our entire life with God. And in order to, to multiply our faith, you have to learn to exercise it. We looked last week at, at Paul, his analogy, and he compares everything that God has given you to a seed. And we said there's two things you can do with the seed. You can grind it up and make food out of it, or you can plant it and allow it to be multiplied. Your time, your talent, your treasure is a seed 
that God has given you to do something with for His kingdom. You can use it for yourself, or you can use it for others. When you plant it, when you use it for others, that takes faith. Faith, the sun's going to shine. Faith, it's going to rain. Faith, the soil is rich enough for that seed to, to take root and to grow and to produce something. Back in the late 20s, uh, people began leaving the, their, their factory jobs in the Northeast to go to the fertile farmlands of the Midwest. They, they were going to go to the fer- these fertile farmlands. They were going to make a fortune. They were giving land away. And that was the, the nation's breadbasket. And so thousands and thousands of people went there to start these farms, to make their fortune. But then in 1931, a drought started. Lasted almost, lasted almost a decade. By 1939... Most people had left that area because of, you know, the Dust Bowl. Uh, April lived through that. Uh, no, uh, her mom did. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the Dust Bowl, because the, the, the topsoil literally blew away. And they, they had nothing to, to eat. They had nothing to grow. They had no crops, so they left to go back to the Northeast so they could re-get their factory jobs. Only a few people remained. In 1939, those few people that remained had a choice to make. They could take the grain that they had from the previous years and they could use it to feed their families for the next year, but then they're out of food. Or they could take half of it and plant it and the other half use for the family. But planting it would take faith. Now, here's the thing. If they planted it and nothing grew then their, their family's going to starve. But if they planted it, and the rains came, and the sun shone, and it did grow, then they'd have an incredible harvest that next year. The ones who planted their crops, in 1939, the rain finally came. And they benefited, with, they reaped an incredible harvest, but it took faith. Nine years, no rain. Nine years of failed crops. Nine years of the Dust Bowl. But they had enough faith to say, I'm going to trust that God's going to come through, that God's going to provide. And God blessed them for their faith. Throughout your life, God's going to put you in some difficult situations. You have to decide whether you're going to keep what you have for yourself or you're going to plant it for His kingdom. And it takes faith to trust God to multiply what He gives you for His glory. You know, we'll... We'll call you to, it's going to call you to, to give, to sacrifice in ways that's going to scare you. And we have to decide if we're going to trust Him or not. Do you trust Him to give back to Him that, that what you give to Him He's going to use to not only take care of you and your family, but also be a blessing to the world? C.S. Lewis said the only safe rule when it comes to generosity is to give until you're scared. Give until it hurts and trust God to take care of you. Only then... Do you know that you're giving out of faith? If your focus is living a safe life, you're not living by faith. A life of faith, God, God will multiply for His glory, and it counts for eternal significance. The only way to truly follow Jesus is with total surrender, total trust, total faith. The Christian life doesn't work if you hedge your bets. Faith isn't faith unless you use it. Third thing we want to see from Abraham's life, and here's where we're going to flip over to Genesis chapter 15, is risking for God takes commitment. 
risking for God takes commitment to God. Abraham eventually got this. He eventually learned this lesson. Genesis 22, God's given him his son. He has Isaac, his son, the promised seed. And God comes to him in Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 and says, Hey, Abraham, you know that son I gave you? That son I promised you 25 years ago? And now he's, he's probably 13 years old. So Abraham's a really old man now. He's probably 115, 113. So remember that son I gave you, that, that promised son? I want you to take that promised son and sacrifice him to me. And Abraham, the guy who didn't trust God to protect him in Egypt because men would steal his wife and kill him, says, okay God, I'll do it. Takes his son up on, mount, on the mountain. Many theologians believe the same mountain that Christ was crucified later, uh, thousands of years later. But Isaac wasn't, the only, wasn't only what Abraham loved the most in the world. Isaac represented all of Abraham's hopes and dreams and futures. But Abraham didn't falter. He did it. Now, of course, God stopped him, but he did it. He trusted God that God, he says, God, you told me you were going to give me this son, and through this son the world's going to be blessed. So God, if I kill him for you, you're going to bring him back. You're going to do something because you said you would. Now, after failing over and over and over again, he finally had the faith to trust and obey God. How did he get that? Look in Genesis chapter 15, look at verse number 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to, unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. So Abraham, is, is one of his, his, he's in one of his seasons of doubt. And God comes to him. He reappears to him and says, Abraham, you know, don't lose faith, don't lose courage. You know, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. Now, Abraham doesn't thank God for showing up. Abraham doesn't say, well, God, you... Thank you so much for reminding me. Thank you so much for, you know, kind of re-encouraging me. Look what he says in chapter 2, verse 2. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born of my house is mine heir. So instead of saying, you know, God, thank you so much for, for reminding me that you're going to take care of me, Abraham says, hey, you know what, God, speaking of rewards, where's that son you promised me? Speaking of taking care of me, where's that kid you promised? i got nobody in my family to take care of me when I'm old, and, and he's already old, but i got nobody to give my, 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 my property to. i got to give it to you know, some, some servant. God, you said you're going to take care of me. You said you're going to give me this kid. Where's this kid you promised, God? Now, of course, if I'm God, I'm just smacking Abraham's teeth out of his mouth. Who are you to question me? But that's why I'm not God. That's why God's God and I'm me. Uh, now, look what God says in chapter, um, fifth, chapter uh, verse number 6. <coughs> well, after that, you know, you know that, so he's doubting God. God takes him outside, shows him the stars of the sky, says your kids are going to outnumber these stars, just trust me. Then verse 6, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. So he's, he's having a, a lack of faith right now. God comes to him and says, Abraham, I'm going to be your great reward. And Abraham says, yeah, yeah I, I don't believe that, God, because you promised me all this stuff and you haven't fulfilled any of your promises. Now, God had. Abraham's just kind of throwing himself a pity party. So God takes him outside and says, Abraham, look at the stars. And again, this is in, a, you know, the, in this time, there was no light pollution. So when you looked up at the sky, 
It's just incredible. You know, I don't know if you've ever been out, uh, out like in Montana or near, you know, the uh, out, out west where there's no light pollution. Just the stars are incredible and just so vibrant and so beautiful. I haven't, but I've seen images on Google. Um, hope to see it one day. But Abraham goes out and he sees all these stars and all these planets and just all these celestial things. And God says, your kids are going to outnumber them. Hasn't, hasn't done anything. He hasn't told him, hey, don't worry, Sarah's pregnant. Hasn't told him, here's how I'm going to do it, Abraham. Just says, Abraham, just, just trust me, it's going to happen. And Abraham believes God. And he is considered righteous because of his belief in God. Now, sadly, doesn't stop there. Look at verse number 8. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? So he, he goes out, God shows him the stars, and he says, oh, I believe you, God. But how do I know that you're really going to keep your word? So that's, that's doubt again. Oh, God, I believe you. Can you give me some proof? Can you give me some sign that you're going to do it? Right after having faith, he, he doubts again. Now, he's doubting two things. First of all, he's wondering, God, how can I trust you? It's been 20 years. 20 years ago, you told me I have a kid, and I have no kid. How can I trust you? But he's also doubting himself. Because he says, God, I've, I've blown it so many times. How, am I gonna, how, how do I know that I'm going to be faithful enough to you that you're going to be faithful to me? He's unreliable. What if, what if Abraham fails? Then look at verse number 9. And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took him all of these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. So here's what God says. And it seems a little strange, but again, you've got to understand the culture. We'll get into the culture. God says, Abraham wants you to take these, these five animals. He doesn't do anything with the two birds right now, but just take a cow, uh, take an ox, and take a goat, and cut them in half. Now, from not, not in half like on the waist, like... The, Cut them in half this way. Divide them long ways. Cut them down the spine in half and lay them beside each other. So, just picture that. It is a bloody, bloody scene. Here's why, the, why he was doing that. Now, usually they would only use one animal. But now in our time, if we, if we sign a contract, we just use our signature. We go to a notary public and they stamp and say, yeah, these... And so, you know, if, if, if I have a contract with someone and they don't keep up their end, I can go to a judge and say, judge, they didn't keep their end of the contract. Here's what it says. You know, they didn't do this or they owe me money or they owe, this is what they have to do. And the judge looks at, the, looks at my signature, looks at their signature, says, yep, you did it. In this time, they didn't have notary publics. They didn't use signatures. What they would do is they would make a contract with each other and they would cut an animal in half, lay it on beside each other, and then both parties would walk between the animals through the blood and they were saying, if I don't keep up my end of the bargain, you can do this to me. If I don't keep up my, my end, then you can murder me and shed my blood to pay for it. Now, Abraham does not walk through the blood, which he, he should have. Um, but, you know, we'll look at verse number 12 again. Look at uh, chapter 15, verse number 12. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. Then skip down to verse 17. And it came to pass, 
that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between these pieces. And in the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, what happens is Abraham cuts these animals in pieces and lays them aside. According to culture, Abraham and God would have walked through these pieces and Abraham said, if I don't keep my word, you can kill me. And God says, if I don't keep my word, you can kill me. But there's a few things weird here. First of all, God is a king. And kings never walk through the blood. Because it was assumed the king is going to keep his word. And if the king doesn't keep his word, nobody's killing the king. So the king didn't walk through. But in this instance, the king is the only one to walk through. Abraham doesn't. So what does that mean? How is that significant? Here's why that's significant. God is telling Abraham, Abraham, if I don't keep up my end of the bargain, this can ha- you can do this to me. But Abraham, if you don't keep up your end of the bargain, you can do this to me. I'll take the punishment for both of our sides. If you don't keep your word, I'll take the punishment. If I don't keep my word... I'll take that punishment. This is the clearest picture of Christ on the cross and the gospel that we have in the Old Testament. Like Abraham, because you read this, Abraham is, this deep, dark sleep falls upon him. We were in a deep, dark sleep of sin. And Christ came into that darkness. He came into that, 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 that wickedness. He lived a perfect life. And when He died on the cross and He shed His blood, He wasn't doing it because He didn't keep up His end of the bargain. He was doing it because I didn't keep mine. He did it for my sins. He died for my transgressions. And He rose again three days later to redeem us to God the Father. And again, He didn't do it because He didn't keep up His end of the bargain. He did it because I broke my end of the contract. Because He took my sins. He allowed my transgressions to be put on Him. And He did that so that I could be redeemed to God the Father. He died in my place. He took the wrath of God that I was due. This is where Abraham got his faith to trust God in Genesis 22. That God said, hey, Abraham, kill your son. And Abraham said, well, God, you made me a promise. You made a, we signed a contract. You promised that this son would be a tremendous blessing to the world, so God, I'm going to do it because you have to keep your word because you signed a contract with me. This showed him what God was willing to do to keep his word. Now, after this, in Genesis 15, Abraham failed a couple more times. He struggled with doubt, but his faith started growing. See, true confidence doesn't come from what is done in us, It comes from what God has done for us. Courage isn't a character trait. It's a consideration of God's commitment to us. It is seen at Calvary. I can look to Calvary and say, God, if you would do that for me, if you would die for me, if you would absorb the wrath of God for my sins for me, if you would shed your blood for me, what won't you do for me? I see it in the empty tomb. God, You rose again for me. You redeemed me to God the Father. If You will do that for me, I can trust You with everything. 
There's nothing I can't trust God with. It's where we get our faith to go forward no matter what we are facing. God's commitment to my family is greater than my commitment. God's commitment to this church is greater than my commitment. God's commitment to my walk with Him is greater than my commitment to Him. No matter where you are, no matter how bad you have messed up, you can keep going in faith. God's commitment to you has never failed. Proverbs 24, 16, one of my favorite verses. For a just man falleth seven times and rises up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. Now, your righteousness isn't seen in not falling. And again, we see that seven times and think, well, I'll get, you know, good thing Abraham only had five mistakes and not eight mistakes. Seven, if you've been coming to our Sunday night, seven is the, the, the number of completion. It's all of it. So what God is saying here in, in Proverbs is saying, look, you can fall over and over and over and over and over again because you're going to. What makes you righteous isn't never falling. What makes us righteous is getting up when you do. Not if you do, when you do. Where you fail, God doesn't. Where you fall, when you fall, get up because God is still there faithful. Here's a final thing, and this is a quick one, so we'll be done pretty soon. Number four. Multiplying for God comes through faith. Skip over to chapter 17. We'll look at verse number 5. <clears throat> Neither shall thou name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For your father of many nations have I made thee. So God, all God did was add an H to his name. With Sarai, he named her, he took away her I and gave her an H. Now, he changes his name, but this is a powerful change, because remember, Abram means father, but Abraham means father of multitudes, father of many. He changes his name, and immediately after changing his name, Sarah gets pregnant. God multiplied Abraham when he continued to believe that God was going to keep his word. That only comes through bold faith. God multiplies what we put in what we use in faith for him. So God is asking you to take some big steps of faith to help build his kingdom. When we obey in faith, God multiplies what we give him through the power of the spirit in us. See God Abraham trusted God. And God filled him with the spirit. That's where we are today. We are here as believers because we trusted God and He has multiplied what we have, what, what believers for the last 40 years here at this church have given to Him. He's multiplied it for His kingdom. We're only going to continue, we're only going to go further for Him if this group of believers continue to trust Him. Continue to give back to Him in faith, trusting He's going to bless them and He's going to use it. And I'm not just talking about, again, I'm not trying to get the offerings up. Although, look, I'm not going to complain if y'all do. Uh, neither is God. But we have talent here. We have time here that we can trust God to use for His glory. God wants us to live by faith. Before He can do anything through us, He has to do something in us. He has to multiply our faith in us before He can multiply uh, our faith for His ministry through us. So where do you need to trust God today? Where do you need to wait on God in your life? We all 
need to be challenged to live by faith. Because every single one of us, myself included, if we don't do anything about it, our heart's going to get out of alignment and we're going to end up in a ditch of selfishness, of self-sufficiency, of self-centeredness. So what's keeping you from stepping out on faith this morning? What's keeping you from stepping out and giving more? What's keeping you from stepping out and serving more? What's, helping, what's keeping you from stepping out and doing something for God's kingdom? We need help here at the church. Are you going to step up and be a part of it? Are you going to grow your faith by trusting God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.